Hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants on Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my two co-hosts, Caroline D.R.T. Edwards, a co-founder of Fortuna Admissions and the former director of admissions at the NCAD School, a great school in Europe, and Maria Wickvilla, who is the founder of Applicant Lab and is a Harvard MBA. Well, if you've been following the news in Poets and Quants, you'll know that this fall is going to be the fall of discontent in MBA land. There was, among other things, a Wharton survey done of the second year MBA class at Wharton. The response rate on the survey that was done by the Wharton students was over 70%, so it's fairly reliable. And what it shows is rather a dramatic level of frustration and disappointment in the coming full semester. More recently, Wharton said that it would pretty much fully go online, citing safety and health concerns in Philadelphia. And that's after they had originally announced a hybrid schedule, which is, in fact, what most schools are going to do. In fact, Wharton became the only one of the M7, the magical seven business schools in the U.S., to commit now to a fully online fall. And here's what students thought about the hybrid plans, not even the latter plans, which were announced at the end of July. Students gave the fall semester a minus 91 net promoter score. 78% of the students said they were not excited about the coming semester. 94% of the students felt that the value of their overall Wharton experience has declined by at least 40%. On average, students felt the value has fallen by 64%. And 86% of the students felt that the Wharton administration had not incorporated student feedback in their decision-making for the fall of 2020. I think that there are a lot of students who feel the same way at a lot of other institutions. At NYU, the students are petitioning for the reversal of a 3.5% tuition hike this year uh, and asking instead for a 5 to 10% discount in the price of their degree, largely because so many classes will be online. At UCLA's Anderson School, the international admits are in sort of an uproar because the school decided not to offer any deferments. So even international students who can't get a student visa to come to LA for the hybrid start still have this decision. Do I go or do I quit and then have to reapply? So everyone's in a little bit of a angry mood right now. Caroline, what do you, what do you make of it? Well, I do think that the sentiment may be a bit worse at Wharton than some other schools. I agree that there's a lot of discontent right now. And look, this is it's a very tough time for everybody. And everyone is adapting to different circumstances that we hadn't anticipated. <laughs> uh, and it, it's been very tough for the schools and extremely tough for the students. But ha having spoken to students in the spring at different schools, I did hear more concern at, uh, at Wharton among, amongst the students there more of a sense that they hadn't been listened to and they felt that you know there was a there was poor communication between the students and the school there and there was sort of bad feeling that was already building up at quite an early stage and you know your your statistics there are are, are pretty damning 
it's very, very bad news indeed for the school. And, and students I spoke to at other schools had more of a sense of the school is trying their best. You know, we understand it's very difficult for everyone. This is not great, right? You know, nobody wants to be just taking their classes on Zoom. We'd rather be exactly. in the classroom. But but we understand the school, it's, it's not their choice to be in this situation and they're doing the very best they can. And we know that the administration is working super hard. And so there was more of a sense at the other schools. And, and I spoke to students at Stanford. I spoke to students at INSEAN and London Business School. And there was more of a sense that we're, we're in this together. And, you know, we're all working as a school, as a community to try and make the best of a bad situation. And I think that kind of broke down quite early at Wharton that, that there was a, unfortunately a sense that you know the, the the school wasn't really in touch with with uh, how the students were feeling about it and and they weren't responding and so you know that, that's really played out in in very negative ways as you as you see from the, those very clear statistics yes but- absolutely you know it, it is true that while other schools Stanford and uh, many other schools invited students on their task forces to plan for the fall semester. Uh, Wharton did not. Wharton didn't survey or consult with students about the best way to start the fall semester. And the truth is, look, no one's going to be happy about an online format. But if you're involved in the decision-making, if you feel that your voice is being heard, that goes a long way to making people basically feel, hey, you know, this is our situation. We've got to deal with it. And after all, this is not some sinister plot uh, to deny students what they had signed up for. These decisions are being made with the health and safety of the faculty, the staff, and the students in mind. It turns out when you look at the numbers that on the first day in early July, I think it was July 6th, that Wharton said they're going to do a hybrid approach to July 31st when they reversed their decision. The cases of coronavirus in Philadelphia itself had more than doubled, and the deaths had gone from one a day to something like in the teens. So there's no question that you know uh, the pandemic was getting worse in that city. The other thing to think of is that, look, you know, business school students are just a fraction of all the students that would be on a university campus. And when you include all those students, it gets a lot more dicey than it is just with, you know, an MBA class or two. Now, Maria, I think you think there's a whole lot of whining going on here. Who, me? Yes. <laughs> Don't you? I sure, I sure do. I mean, I think, I think what you guys have touched upon is that there are, there are actually sort of two issues at play here. One is, is it unfair, quote unquote, that classes are all going to be online when we thought we were going to get this amazing in-person experience? And then the second issue is how is it communicated, right? There are sort of two different parts to that. So I do think that people who are complaining about like, oh, it's, so it's going to be online and that's terrible. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I do think that that is, it's immature. I think it is missing the forest for the trees. And I think, you know, it's like if I, I like, I think I, I, I've expressed this before, like you spent all of this energy in your essays and interviews convincing me as an admissions officer that you're this amazing leader that's ready for the challenges of the 21st century. And yet 
the first big challenge of the 21st century hits and instead of embracing it and saying, okay, it is what it is. It's not great, but you know what? It is what it is. And I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to move heaven and earth to make this rock, you know, not, not to make a literal rock, but to make, <laughs> but to make this like an amazing, I'm going to, I'm going to make the best of it. It's almost like, well, who, who's the person that I read about in your essays? Because now the person I read about in your essays is not the same person now who's like, Um, so i think i think that that part is i'm actually pretty disappointed at at the responses that some people have had um to this like you know what guess what i everyone is disappointed by covid it's not just mba admits it's those of us who have to work from home now with our families and try to educate our children at the same time somehow (laughs) or how about those who who have lost their jobs yes who have lost a family member right like it's just yes i mean let's put things in perspective people um and it's also like you know i i as we were saying a little bit before we we actually started the recording like as you said, it's not like they, it's not like Wharton did anything sinister here. It's not like no. they were like pay a seventy grand for tuition, and then when you log into the Zoom platform, it's not a class. It's a bunch of cat gifts and SpongeBob SquarePants YouTube videos. No, they're still, they're still giving. It's not really the fire festival where you know. I mean, it's yes. not entirely quite like that where it's like you thought you were getting all this stuff, and then you show up, and it, none of it, literally none of it exists. You're still going to be meeting great people. You're still going to be getting a great education you're still going to be learning at the best business schools in the world you know it's not just like a country club you know business school is is, (laughs) it is a lot about networking in person but it's not only about networking in person and as i've said before you know if if meeting people online didn't work then online dating would never ever 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 have taken off so you know i think that part is is a little overblown now i will say i do think though that the students who are complaining about the lack of transparency and the lack of communication that is a very valid complaint. And I do think it's a kind of interesting that a business school of all schools, you know, in business school, one of the things they teach you is to manage others. It's important to give them a sense of buy-in. It's important to make them feel that they are personally invested, that they are being heard, that even if we don't do what you want to do, we've heard you, we've listened to you, we've considered your ideas. And so it's just interesting to me that like a quote unquote business leadership management school kind of flunked change management 101 yes, is exactly. make people feel invested, make people feel like they're a part of the process. I mean, I don't, you know, John Cotter's eight steps to embracing <laughs> embrace change. Like, I feel like that's like the first week of management 101 that they teach you in pretty much every business school. So that part I thought was really kind of weird. And I, I, I don't, th- again, I don't think there was any malice involved. I don't think they were like, hee, 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 you know, like, you know, some sort of cartoon villain. Uh, <laughs> they weren't trying to sabotage the experience. Yes, exactly. But I, I am a little surprised at how a business school would not put business communication principles to work here. You know, in one case, obviously, Wharton was in the middle of a leadership transition. Um, you had one dean who is outgoing, and you had a new dean come in. And while that shouldn't have impacted planning on the MBA side, because obviously there are deans who are in charge of the MBA program and other administrators, it, it could have caused some hesitation on the part of the dean of the MBA program to kind of hold back waiting for, you know, the new super dean to come in. I'm just trying to search for 
for a reason for this, because, you know, this, this survey also showed that 76% of the students do not feel their best interests are Wharton's top priority. And it's going to, according to the survey, I don't know if this is going to play out. We There's no way to tell. But 69% of the students said they feel it's less likely that they will donate to Wharton in the future yeah, based on its response bad. to date. Mm-hmm. And 67% of students are more willing to donate to Wharton in the future if they receive some sort of tuition relief, <laughs> which is unlikely because, let's face it, the cost structure of a business school doesn't change in the pandemic. Even if your buildings are closed and you save a little money on utilities, all the additional investments in technology to deliver the program online will more than offset the cost of utility bills. The faculty still has to be paid. The staff has to be paid. The buildings and grounds have to be maintained. Uh, There are no savings to speak of in the budget uh, to reduce your tuition, even though I agree what you're going to get is not what you signed up for. Yeah. But what do you do? I mean, I, I, I think, Maria, you're right. I mean, people in their essays tried to prove and successfully did if they're in an elite MBA program that's highly selective that they are the leaders of the future. They have leadership potential. Here is a time to to be a leader, really, and to you know move forward, uh, make the best of it. On some level, I actually think, you know, look, you're going to get the same degree. That's number one. And because you're going through this with your classmates and it is a difficult time, it could, in fact, create even deeper bonds than a traditional MBA experience might. Because you've been through a crisis together. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like going through the core and, you know, you're overwhelmed uh, and you can't prioritize and you feel like you're sinking. And then you get through it and you have a whole different attitude about what you learned, what you went through and the bonds that it created with your classmates, because all of you were in this together. Yeah, I agree. I also want to say like, you know, when, when people are saying, when they're nitpicking about the tuition and they're saying, well, if the cafeteria is not going to be open then that part of the, you know, that allocation of my tuition that was going to go towards paying the cafeteria workers, that should be reduced. But it's it's also like, it's very kind of cruel in a way, because if they think through that logic and say, well, because the cafeteria worker won't be there to serve me, that person should lose their job. I mean, if you're going to a Wharton you are by definition amongst one of the most privileged people in the world, even if you don't come from wealth, even if you don't come, the fact that you're even going means that you either currently are extraordinarily privileged against the world population, or you are about to become extremely privileged. And so I think I'm also a little bit incensed, frankly, <laughs> on, behalf of the, on behalf of like the staff and the, yeah, the cleaning people and the, and the, and the cafeteria workers and the, like, what, what do they, you know, it's just, it, there's such a level of, of sort of cruel indifference to their plight and not even thinking that like, yeah, that, that $2,000 refund you might get on your tuition means very little to you, but it could mean putting food on the table for a single mother. Right. And I just, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very true. And look, look, uh, it's often hard to hear the complaints of the privileged when we know there's so many others in the world who've lost relatives to this disease, 
who, even if you recover in many cases, you don't recover in the same way and you may have uh, health problems throughout the rest of your life. Uh, people who've lost their jobs, people who've held on to their jobs, but suddenly the opportunities that had once that were dangled before them have completely disappeared. Um, you know, when you're when you're sitting in a privileged state as a, a Wharton or a Harvard, or a Stanford, NCAD, MBA student, I think you need to appreciate where you are and the luck that you have. Uh, you're absolutely right. So one third of Americans are going to struggle to pay their rent this month. Exactly. Um, yeah. I do think for this particular class, it, it, this is it, they're the ones who are the hardest hits, right? Because they, the class of twenty twenty one, they they started the program and you know the job market was the best it's ever been. You know, True. We, we were riding high for many years and there was no cloud on the horizon, and then this suddenly hit. So it was a massive shock and. Whereas the class that starts now, they're entering this knowing that the world has changed, knowing that it's going to be a different experience. They're mentally prepared. Uh, they know what they're they're signing up for. Um, so it was a you know terrible shock for the for the current students and uh, and and of course you know all schools were scrambling in the spring and it was extremely patchy. You know some professors were. Uh, very technically savvy and got their act together very quickly and were fantastic online and some weren't. And, you know, now hopefully things will, uh, you know, they've had time over the summer to 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 think things through and, and to ensure more effective delivery. So I'm sure that the delivery will be will be much better and consistent in, in the fall season. And, and of course, there's a lot of concern about the job market. They, they started business school thinking that job offers would be raining down on them. And you know, the, the economy has gone into a nosedive. So it is a very depressing situation. And, it, you know, it's very hard to find yourself caught up in that. But I, I do think if that survey, it would be very interesting to see if that survey could be replicated at other schools, because I think you would see a different picture. I think, you know, that has it, it that highlights a particular issue at Wharton, and I, I'm sure there is discontent elsewhere, but to perhaps not quite to such an extreme level. Yeah, agreed. And I would love to see a further follow-on survey to, to Caroline's point of like, let's resurvey survey them again in four months or six months. Like once they've actually gotten to know their classmates, once they've actually had a chance to, like, I just think it's funny that there's like a 70 whatever percentage I'm disappointed with the fall semester. The fall semester hasn't even started yet. You, don't even know. you haven't even given them a chance. You haven't even given... You've, you're just already assuming that it's 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 going to be terrible. And I think it would also be interesting um, later on. And of course, this would require a level of data analysis and hiring a survey company that I don't think any of us have. Uh, but the ability to sort of say, okay, the people who had a better attitude about this whole situation going in, right? Those that 30% that were like, no, I'm actually pretty excited about this, like tracking do they end up having a more positive experience because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and you walked into it with a better attitude and therefore you do in fact get more out of it. So I would love to, I, I know it's like a really hard, I always come up with like these, these impossible to, like, let's come up with a framework that is really expensive to, to actually implement, but hey, let's do it anyway. Uh, but I, I sort of, to throw that out there as a thought exercise, I, I, I wonder if the if the people who are going into it with a, with a grumpy, a level of grumpy are actually, you know, causing things to be worse. So, so let's go to what advice would we have 
for either an admit coming to an MBA program for the first time this fall, knowing that it's hybrid and could very well be likely to be uh, online, because even the hybrid programs, to be honest, are largely online, given the mandate to reduce class size and eliminate large classes entirely. Really, a small percentage, even in a hybrid, of your classes are going to be physical. What's your advice? How do you how do you move forward? How do you embrace it? How do you make the best of it? Maria? Well, I think one positive way to reframe it in your head is not, wow, something valuable has been taken away from me, but maybe to reframe it as a valuable opportunity has been presented to me in terms of having my first real leadership test, learning how to manage in a global environment. And this is this is a test for like because some people who do get into these business schools, they've they've kind of coasted, right? They kind of they went to the fancy college, they got the fancy job. They've never really had, you know, perhaps some of them, not all, certainly not all, but some of them have not really had a you know, I think I think some of them are very used to getting what they want is pretty much another way of putting it. And so I think this is, a, I actually see this as an opportunity, like challenge yourself and say, you know what, it is what it is. I am going to make it my personal goal to make the most of this. So I am going to make it a goal to meet eight new classmates a week. And I am going to make it a goal to do, you know what I mean? Like set goals for yourself and see it as a positive challenge for, and ask yourself, you know, I think I can rise to this challenge. This is an opportunity for me to rise to an unprecedented challenge. Isn't that cool? Instead of, well, I was hoping that I'd get to go to bars every night. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been a rough couple of months for all of us kids, you know? <laughs> no kidding. They should try homeschooling. Yeah, exactly. You got, and you've got four of them. I don't know what. <laughs> and Caroline, what's, what's your best advice? Yeah, well, so thinking back to the conversations I had with students in the spring, one thing that came up is that when you're um, taking a lot of classes online, it, it can be very difficult to stay focused and, and really engaged. And, and they said that, you know, they found, they found that a bit of a struggle and they certainly saw classmates sort of, you know, losing interest. And so I think, you know, you have to make a conscious effort to really engage and be disciplined because when you're on campus, you're surrounded with this incredible energy of the community and it, you know, you get drawn into it and wrapped up into it. And it's not difficult to engage in that, right? I mean, it's amazing to be sitting in that classroom and, and that the conversation and the, the, the professor and the energy that's there um, really, uh, you know, even if you've had a late night or you've been in the bar, as Maria said, you know, it wakes you up and it draws you in and, and, and you get engaged. And, and if you're sitting at home and you're staring at a screen for eight hours and you're by yourself, it's very easy to just, you know, start scrolling through Instagram and YouTube while you're supposed to be listening to financial accounting. And, and so I think, um, you know, you have to be super disciplined about staying focused, you know, sticking to sticking to your goals, as, as Maria said, you know, figure out what you want to get out of it and, 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 um, and just really uh, bringing all of your energy to that and, and understanding that it's going to take more effort and more discipline from, from you than if you were actually, you know, live on campus and, and going through the, the regular experience. I also think you could focus on what you can control. You know, the co-curricular activities on a business school campus are essential to the full MBA experience. 
And and maybe maybe one challenge for every student entering this fall is to ask themselves, what can they do to recreate that experience? Because they are in control of that for sure. Maybe the school can help here or there, but essentially students can plan a whole range of virtual and in-person events that allow some semblance of the social interaction in an MBA program to be still a thing as opposed to nothing. Mm. And that's something that students can control because co-curricular activities are largely the province of the student body. And most MBA cultures tend to rely on students for everything from clubs and organizations to conferences and things like that. I, I think that's where you, where you put your focus. And the academics will be the academics. Whatever the school can deliver the best it can, it will be done. But, you know, go what you can control. Deal with that first. To me, that's the best way to to make a go of this. And I do like the idea of setting goals, whether it's I'm going to meet and spend time with either in a Zoom session or even in a socially distanced coffee clutch. Um, yeah. uh, six uh, of my colleagues, six of my classmates every single week. And I'm gonna, we're going to spend a couple of hours together uh, on a Friday or Thursday night after classes for the week are done. Uh, and we're just going to get to know each other more and, and, and more intimately in, in a way that will create the bonds and the friendships uh, that will last a lifetime. Yeah. I think, I think you gotta, you gotta focus on what you can control because what you can't control is it's useless to worry about and to complain yeah. and moan over. <laughs> and to Maria's point about on, online dating, um, yes. <laughs> you know, it made me think actually that um, when I started for Tudor Admissions, you know, you know my partners, John, Matt, and, and Judith. I did not meet Judith until about two years into running for Tudor Admissions. So we started a business together, mm. and we'd never actually physically met mm-hmm. because I was living in Paris, she was living in Atlanta. We both had babies. Um, it was very difficult to cl- cross the Atlantic. Matt knew us both. He he had met us both, but so he was the sort of common bond. But we didn't meet face to face until we'd actually been working together for two years, and I got to know her extremely well. And it was quite strange actually when we finally did physically meet because, you know, we we had a purely virtual relationship and a very close relationship. Um, so you know, it goes to show that there's actually you you can build relationships online without meeting people. Absolutely true. Okay, so our our bottom line take on this is stop the whining, move forward, make the best of it. Remember how privileged you are to be in the position you're in. At the end of the day, your diploma is going to read the same way. It's not going to be the COVID diploma, the COVID MBA. And in fact, these difficult times can very much allow for deeper bonds to be created with your classmates. And for schools, the lesson is simply, hey, listen to your customers, listen to your students, engage them, consult with them. Don't treat them as this abstract block of people out there who are willing to accept your decisions without their involvement. That's really management 101, as uh, Maria has pointed out. So, Maria and Caroline, onward and upward. (laughs) (laughs) With masks on all the way. Yeah. (laughs) Indeed. 
Uh, wash your hands, wear your mask, stay six feet apart from everybody, and enjoy yourself. <laughs> <laughs> We're all in this together. You got to remember that, okay? And really, the schools are most interested in the safety and health of the students, the faculty, and the staff. And at this time, you just got to keep that front and center. There is no quiet conspiracy to deny you the education you signed up for. That's the bottom line. All right, Maria and Caroline, thank you so much for your your perspectives on this. I think they're right on. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Thanks for listening to Business Casual. Thank you.